my brothers and sisters in the Lord, <clears throat> today I want to sort of offer you two separate reflections. Don't worry, I'm not going to double the time of the homily. First, I want to offer you a reflection on the gospel, and then, of course, a brief reflection on what has been in the television and newspapers over the past few days, the names of the 57 clergy that have been credibly accused of sexual abuse. The gospel. My brothers and sisters, we see in this particular gospel a scribe come to Jesus. And the scribe asks Jesus, which of these commandments, which of these laws is the greatest? And oftentimes when we think about the commandments, we think about the Ten Commandments given to Moses by God on Mount Sinai. But we have to remember, my brothers and sisters, that for the Jewish people, there were over 200 laws that had to be followed. And so this was a very poignant question. And of course, Jesus gives that response that we're very familiar with. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then the scribe commends Jesus for giving this answer and saying that to love God and to love neighbor is greater than any burnt offering or sacrifices. And Jesus says something very poignant to the scribe. He says to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, my brothers and sisters, usually for the Pharisees and the scribes, they're the ones who are wearing the black hats in Scripture. They're the ones Jesus is often referring to as the hypocrites. But this particular scribe seems to be putting the pieces together. And Jesus commends that you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. My brothers and sisters, what does that mean for you and for me? How do we live out this whole notion of the kingdom? I think first thing that we have to remember, my dear friends, is this. The kingdom of God is a reality that is already here, but not yet. It is a both-and reality. It is a reality that is already here, but not yet. The not yet point, my brothers and sisters, is certainly that the fullness of the kingdom will not come until the second coming until the Lord brings all things to himself, the full reign of that kingdom. And oftentimes when we speak about the kingdom of God, many people think about that final coming, the fullness of the kingdom. But the other part of that reality is the kingdom of God is in our midst. The kingdom of God is breaking into our lives more and more as a reality each and every day if we're faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus. For example, my brothers and sisters, look at the various parables that Jesus tells. The kingdom of God is like the pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is like the treasure buried in the field. Jesus says in the gospel, the kingdom of God is within you. Here we have the king, you are not far from the kingdom of God. It is a reality, my friends. And it's very important reality. How does Jesus begin his ministry? He speaks those words, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And so the kingdom of God is a reality that should be breaking into your life and into my life. But do we even recognize it? Do we even acknowledge that we are the hands and the heart and the mouthpiece of Jesus 
in order to build that kingdom. I like this little analogy. Many of you know we just got back from our pilgrimage to Italy and Sicily. And when we flew from the United States and when we arrived in Rome, we got off that plane and we stood on foreign soil. However, as we stood on foreign soil, we were still U.S. citizens. Our citizenship came with us as we made that journey. What does St. Paul say? We are, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior. You see, my brothers and sisters, as we continue in this life as the church militant, as we continue to live out the gospel, we are reminded that our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom by our baptism. And because of that citizenship, my friends, we are journeying in somewhat foreign land, foreign territory, until we reach the fullness of that kingdom. But that citizenship, who we are, continues each and every day of our life. So you see, my friends, we have to remember that reality that the kingdom of God is already here, but not yet. And if it is already here and not yet, my friends, the second major point is that the kingdom of God is directly connected to unconditional love, as we hear in the gospel today. The kingdom of God is directly connected to unconditional, self-sacrificial love. And I use that terminology, my friends, because when you say love today, it's sort of like a greasy pig. Love means all sorts of things. You know the song, all you need is love. You know, what kind of love? Because sometimes we mistake in love as the theological virtue to do whatever you want to make you happy, that's love. Tell people whatever they want to hear so they're happy, that's love. That's not love. Allowing people to live in a lie is not love. Lying to people is not love. Living in the truth and the beauty and goodness, that is love. And so the kingdom of God is connected to self-sacrificial love. Where do we see that love? On Calvary. As Jesus died on that cross for you and for me, for the salvation of the world. In the first letter of St. John, we read that God is love. And so wherever there is true self-sacrificial love, there is God. And wherever there is God, there is true self-sacrificial love. They go together. Do we love God above all things, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? I read this little story, this little parable, kind of brings this point home. The parable goes like this. One day there was a gardener who was responsible for a very large estate. And on this particular estate, there was a large pond. And one day a flock of geese flew over the estate and they landed on the waters of the pond. Now the gardener, in his sinful and devilish way, decided that he was going to grab one of those geese, which he did, and he clipped the feathers of the goose. <coughs> and because he clipped the feathers, of course, the goose was not going to be able to flop. And so he put the goose back into the pond, and then he waited. And then all of a sudden, all the geese took off. It was time to continue to move on. 
But this one goose that was, had its feathers clipped, it couldn't move, it couldn't fly, it struggled in order to get up to follow the other geese, but it couldn't. And all those geese began to circle around and around the pond, trying to encourage this little one in order to lift off, to lift off. But he just couldn't. So you know what the geese did? They didn't continue on. They all landed back on the pond. And they all sat there for days, waiting for this particular goose's feathers to grow back enough so that it could fly. And once that happened, they all took off together. You see, my brothers and sisters, when we talk about love, well, that's just a little story, a little parable. The question is, are we willing to love self-sacrificially? Are we willing to love without counting the cost? Are we willing to love to the very end? And if we are, my friends, then the kingdom of God is becoming a reality more and more in our own lives and in those around us. As we hear the words of scripture, my friends, may we always be reminded that the kingdom of God is at hand. As Jesus says to the scribe today, you are not far from the kingdom. My brothers and sisters, Praise God, may we, may we hear those words of Jesus in our own life as we strive and struggle to make the kingdom a reality. And now, my brothers and sisters, I do want to address a few words for our recent crisis. My dear friends, the continuous wave of revelations of the sexual abuse scandal in the church has been sickening and disheartening for so many as we confront the suffering of countless victims, the wickedness of perpetrators, the lack of spiritual paternity and pastoral determination on the part of those with the responsibility to root it out, and the corruption and lukewarmness that not only tolerates such filth and infidelity, but sometimes augment it. As we consider the list of names that was published on Friday by Archbishop Amen, and as we experience the shock of knowing that these priests and deacons preyed on so many victims, we need also to honor the courage of those who have come forward to share the most painful experiences of their entire life. My heart goes out to all who carry deep, deep wounds of this sort. It often takes years for victims of trauma to come to terms with the abuse they have suffered and ask for help. It takes much courage to make this admission, and it takes trust. And trust is something that gets twisted and manipulated by the abuser, as well as by the institutions that help protect the abuser. So stepping forward is that much more difficult, and, we will, not, and will not occur until the victim feels safe and is confident that he or she will be heard. And that is part, my friends, of the task before the church today. Safe environment means not only a place where no one will be abused going forward, it also means creating a safe place where those who have been abused in the past can find understanding, healing, and hope. Those who know church history are aware that throughout, throughout the centuries, there have been periods of infidelity and iniquity in which spiritual cancer spread throughout the members of Christ's mystical body. The clergy, religious orders, the laity, even the papacy. 
They also know that in response to such pervasive sinfulness, God was not indifferent. Where sin abounded, his grace superabounded. Witnessed above all in the saints, movements, and devotions that he himself inspired to bring the church to her knees in prayerful conversion. My friends, fidelity is the only adequate response to infidelity. And holiness is the only adequate response to sin and corruption. Just as there should be no room in the priesthood, diaconate, or episcopacy for those who would harm the young, so there should be no room for those who are determined to live corrupt, double lives. Hope comes from the recognition that God never abandons his people, but remains with us speaking to us in prayer, purifying us through penance, sanctifying us through his sacraments, and desiring to draw good even out of the evil we have committed and endured. May God grant us the grace to always be a people of hope, even in these very troubling times.